Well, hey, folks. Welcome. Well, here we are, the Not Necessarily Mad podcast with me, Eric Hollinsworth, and G.B. Meyer. So no GB for this episode. Instead, I'm welcoming in Matthew Billings to Not Necessarily Mad for a Spell. Matthew and I work together in Flat 5 Jazz. He's also the pianist and producer for Dreamcatcher. You can find them by searching for Dreamcatcher the Band on Instagram. If you want to hear what Matthew, me, and the rest of Flat 5 sound like, you can visit flat5jazzva.com. And the conversation with Matthew is always good. So let's get right to it. Well, Matt, man, I, I want to thank you for taking some time to talk to me today. Absolutely, this is this is fantastic. Yeah, a little little pre-show chat. We were uh, kind of working out what we we're going to talk about. We're both just super hyped to be be doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, I guess the the what we can do is start where I like to start with with these kind of interviews and talking with people. Is, uh, tell me a little bit about your influences. Well, I I primarily consider myself a jazz pianist. Um, but there's there's so much more. I mean, just musicians in general. We you know I know we all have tons of things that we're you know that we're into that we play and that we like and that we consider our, our influences. Mm-hmm. But um, I um, I studied jazz piano up up in New York, um, upstate in Rochester, and Rochester um, I consider to be a super artsy city. You know we we had. Um, tons of tons of great bands up there. Um, everything from reggae to jazz, and also a huge improvisational electronic scene. All right, um, and a huge huge hip hop scene, where um, it also was very Im- improvisational. You know, where you know you, you're in the club, and you're going for hours into the night. And you have people right. jumping up on stage, and and you know those are those are the gigs that I first really experienced. When I was, you know, when I was in jazz school and I was studying audio and um, lots of electronic, lots of fusion with jazz and and different synth elements and, and whatnot. Right, right, right. So, so there were there were tons of that. <clears throat> and um, you know, I, I studied jazz up in New York and then came down to Lynchburg and here we are. We've been we've been gigging together for for a couple, of year, couple y- of years now. Yeah, a couple of years. Yeah. And, um, you know, we've done we've done some studio work together, and we've primarily played a lot of jazz. Right, and I, I think that's where we share like our influences. I know you, you and I just did with with Flat Five Jazz. Uh, we did the um, kind of blue recreation yes. uh, con- concert, yep. and and for I don't know the four weeks, five weeks that we were prepping for that, we were all like. I don't know. I, I know you were were with me on this. I was listening to Kind of Blue over and over and yeah. over again. Yep. And and you can't help but notice how when you study something like that, that all of a sudden that's incorporated into your own sound at that point. Right. And and, and I think you know I think you hit it on the head in formative years in in, in college and that time frame for all of us. I think we hold on to those kind of influences a little harder than the other influences that come into our life, unless it's something that's like just mind bendingly changing. Sure. Sure. And, um, you know, 
I, I couldn't get enough of it, but I was I was happy when it was done. But I, again, with the kind of blue thing, I, it just felt like you know you have to study some things, and they become an influence whether you, whether you want them to or not. <laughs> you know, you're asked to play them, and and all of a sudden they're they're an influence on you. Right. No, was it, was there a particular artist that really kind of grabbed you at some point and, and you went, oh, I, <laughs> I, I, I've got to get into this. You know, different different artists speak to us at different times in our life, different phases. Um, right. The, the, first, the first music that really, uh, that really pulled at me for, for jazz was Herbie Hancock and Bill Evans. And my, my first serious teacher in college was a huge Chick Corea fan. So, so that, that was a lot of my foundation, but, you know, in, in studying that music, um, and specifically with, you know, my, my, my first few teachers, specifically for jazz, it, it was very much education where, um, you know, we, we might be jamming together or playing together for a good portion of the lesson, and they might play a lick that just sounded like it was the tonality that I wanted to, to ingest right. and, and learn right. and figure out. And yeah, I remember stopping in the middle of the lesson and being like, wait, what was that you just did right there? Right, right, right. What mode were you using over that chord progression of why? It, right. And it, yeah, and you know, oftentimes the, the, my actual feedback I would get is, well, I was just going. I, I, I don't know. I was, I, was, I was in the moment. You know. Yeah, exactly. It, you know, I was just thinking when you're saying that, it's funny how your your instructors' influences become your influences, whether you yeah. whether you really want them to or not. To be quite honest, yeah, I was introduced to jazz by my, uh, believe it or not, my cello instructor. Uh, oh. He's Alan Weinstein. He's up at uh, Virginia Tech now and does the low strings up there. And he also ran the when I he was at Rona College teaching while I was while I was there. And he introduced me to jazz in a way that you know high school never could. Basically, you know, you you, you get it and you go, oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah. But but he he really opened it up for me, and it's his influences immediately became my influences because I wanted to I wanted to hear how he was hearing things so that I understood when he said this that or the other and I'd be go oh right and he would go just like this and I'm like oh from that <laughs> album and as we grow you know well we do this in flat five all the time and i do it with with other friends musicians i'm like hey i heard this today and you need to check them out mm-hmm. and yeah. you, I, i'll be we we share a um a messenger group on 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 facebook messenger with flat five and i'll get an alert and it's like hey check this out or hey you need to listen to this and it, it's always good stuff so i, I think we all we, we we continue to be influenced but it it's it's nice to revisit those uh those those early influences well and, and yeah that 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 blending you know that that sharing that you said it, the, that jambalaya pod of music is part of what jazz is yes it's part of what jazz is all about right exactly it's constantly morphing and, and how we we relate to it Right, and and I know it, I'm accused of this all the time, um, playing with other groups. It's just too jazzy. Well, I'm like, <laughs> you know, that's that's sort of my influence. But uh, you and I've worked uh, outside of the of the flat five constraints in in a in a trio situation to where it was just us and a drummer, and improv doing a little improv over you know some some fat beat Freddie was laying out. Oh yeah. 
and um you could you could hear our shared influences like the herbie hancock and and that kind of stuff but this was a more urban kind of feel and i'm just wondering how do you how do you see your jazz influences kind of carrying over into the the pop world or the non-jazz world i guess i would put it because it's a little broader than that sure well i i mean every every genre can benefit honestly from an approach through the jazz headspace and looking through the jazz filter um, as far as how you approach the music and like how you're playing with other people. Right. Um, you know, jazz is bigger than odd harmonies or, or, or things that maybe are... The, 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 the rhythmic a- aspects right. of jazz. Yeah, right, yeah. so it's totally applicable to, to a pop, um, pop mindset, to blues, to rock, and urban especially, you know. Um, I, I think it was a Robert Glasper quote um, where he says, uh, jazz is the mother of hip-hop. The, the jazz came first, and then right. hip hop morphed out of that. And you know, if you listen to where hip hop is today, and you know, different segments of different sections of the genre, you may or may not hear that. But it's it's the groove and it's the flow. Um, yeah, it's 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 more. Well, I, a friend of mine used to joke around. That's like you you got the groove that's happening, and that's like lowercase g right. groove, and then you've got the groove uppercase g, where it's it's the it's the um, the overall sense of what's going on, not just what the musicians are doing, but that whole, like you said, that that headspace where where you're just everything's right, everything's right where it needs to be. Right, it's a very, it's a very spiritual headspace. What I'm gonna say. Um, I'd agree. Yeah, I, I would agree. I would agree. There, there, there's a, there's a YouTube segment, um, I watched a while back, and it's Herbie Hancock, uh, talking about, um, his his jazz practice as it's evolved over the years and how it relates to spiritual practice and for him specifically Buddhism. Right, but. You, you know, it, I can see it's, I mean, you, you look at people like John Coltrane, you know, as you, as you advance in your study, specifically of jazz too, you know, you almost kind of dive down to these, these, these core elements that right. are parallel with, with that spirituality of, you know, okay, I, I want a solo and I don't know what my solo is going to be as it's coming up and I've prepared and I've planned and I've studied, you know, the modes and I've done this and I've done that. <laughs> right. But if I'm not in tune with myself to some degree or with some disjointed, any part of my, my psyche or anything, that'll affect what comes out as a solo. So, right. you know, it's that balance and it's that center that you kind of almost fall into as you study jazz and go further and further into it and everything benefits from that right and you know i i I do play with with a couple of symphonies and and there there is a uh i I don't want to say um spirituality to playing but it it, there is that spiritualness to it i guess it would be a spirituality to the to the playing and the connections are 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 so much different in that sort of regimented world of of classical music but there's still that you know when when a symphony is really engaging amongst itself um you know like you say the listening and the and the and just 
getting in that same space it, it's a it's a fantastic thing it's a it's a it's a heck of a rush it's that it's that it's that spark if, yes if, if you're a musician listening to this and you play in the band and you were all jamming and suddenly someone played an idea that all caught on and it spread around like like a wildfire around to everybody that spark right. is is what that is like for suddenly it's almost like you you all are on the same frequency there's almost an ESP kind of the, yeah exactly you know the sensing where someone's going to go I, I I explained it to somebody it's like when 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 that's happening I can see where you're going and wait for you around the corner <laughs> yep you know and it and it's it's that kind of feeling man it's just uh, I got the, I, I had the it was a great occasion. I got to do a gig locally in Lynchburg with um, with Butch Taylor, who's Dave Matthews' keyboard player, and he's friends with uh, a guy that we work with, Chris McGee. Uh, they went to college together, and and Butch is local. And he said, "Yeah, sure, I'll come down and play." And it, he's he's a, as good as he is with the Dave Matthews band. He's an even more phenomenal keyboard player mm. in jazz. Um, it's, it's like Herbie and chick rolled into one and well, that's a combo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, just, he, he's, he's, I'm not saying he's outside the box sonically, but he's outside the box mentally. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's just a real interesting thing, but there was, there was one moment that we, we had gotten through the, the most of the first, most of the first set and really getting comfortable and that happened i i knew where he was going was waiting for him around the corner and here's a man that has traveled all over the world and we're playing you know it was jimmy so I mean, it was, yeah, what yeah. Four, 45 people maybe and he was so excited when we took a break he said dude you were waiting for me that was so cool. I just, <laughs> I, I, and i'm just like okay so it's not just us that get that excitement it's it's ranging from top to bottom with that and you know that that's it's one thing it's i've always wanted to get your thoughts on we've never really had a chance to sit down and talk to talk about it but is right. is nurturing that connectivity on stage right right we 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 all i, I would argue we all inherently have that capability you know to, mm-hmm. to, to some degree and um especially between you know you you have your 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 musicians on stage you have your audience, um, and you are, you know, whether whether or not you're you're reading for the first time, you know, because those, those are two very big different situations as well. Right, right, you know, right. You know, you're sight reading versus you're playing a tune that you know really well. Um, but it, it's it's important to create a space around you musically, not just in a mix room for other people, but. A, a space that invites others to come talk to you musically and you know hey listen to what I have to say I'm listening to you um, right. and it's that it's that mutual respect that's infused into the playing that makes it it's part of what makes it powerful you know you are you're creating a space you're holding a space around you for for those conversations to happen 
Yeah, and and I, I'll be honest with you, man. It's hard playing with people that don't get to that point where you're 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 putting the energy out to them, saying, "Hey, here I am. Come play with me. Right. Come do that." And and yeah. they're in they're in their own world, and I, and I get that that happens. Um, but it's so much better when they're just like, "Hey, I want to come play in your sandbox too." <laughs> yeah, that's it. It's yeah. It's almost a mindfulness practice, you know. Exactly. Because I mean, so much is going on anyway. You're processing the tune. You're listening to what's going on. You know, you're 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 absorbing the room. You're feeling right. the room, um, and it all works together too. Um, it's all it's all a part of it. But, exactly. But you know, even if it's just two or three people in a tiny like rehearsal space, you know, that's just as applicable. Like the space that you create around you, that you are directly in control of. Right. Uh, um, you know, it make it inviting. Mm-hmm. Um, it, ha- it has to be welcoming. Mm-hmm. You know, that's uh, I worked with a guy at one point that was that. He was very mindful, very spiritual man. Um, really, a, a philosopher of the of following the Eastern philosophies, so Taoism, Confucianism, that kind of thing. He was really studied in that stuff, mm-hmm. and um, heck of a jazz player. <laughs> Imagine that. And um, he, he would he would talk. I was playing in a in a in a combo with him, and he would say, "Hey, look, man, if we concentrate our energy." on ourselves making sure we're all connected musically and in that headspace that's just going to emanate out from the stage and invite the listeners in yeah Yeah. and and i i mean i've been to shows you've been to shows where the musicians are mailing it in and you can tell they're mailing it in and the audience can tell too they're not they're not into it but that you get a band that's into it and grooving hard, uh-huh. the, the the people will 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 even if it's not their bag. I mean, because you and I have been in that situation where we've been playing with 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 flat five, and it's it's not the right room for flat five, right? But by the end of the night, it is right Be, because <laughs> because we've invested that time and that effort in creating what we create on stage. That even if it's not your thing it's you're going to enjoy it right you know i'm not into jazz but that group was good that i got that comment one time you know yeah i'm not really into jazz but you guys are good <laughs> well guess what you're into jazz now so. surprise we we tricked you into liking jazz <laughs> because you experienced it. exactly yep. but yep. but you know it, it, again it's that connectivity and i know um being on stage with you the, a lot of it is uh i won't say a lot some of it is eye contact and and gestures and nodding and here we go other times it's it's just that feeling yep yep it's you know you you're being mindful but also at the same time you you have given yourself full license to also let go (laughs) and lose it because i lose myself on stage sometimes yeah well Um, we all do yeah and it's it's part of the beauty of it and yeah all people come up to me after a show and be like what 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 was that you were saying? We saw that your mouth was moving, and I'm like, what? Like what? Do you, and I realized watching footage back, you know, that I developed a habit of like moving my mouth, just you know, like, <laughs> and I wasn't aware of it, but you know, right. I I was so immersed in in that moment that it was kind of manifesting itself that way. And I think we all kind of do a little something where it just 
it's, it's overflowing out of us so we have to show it somehow right exactly um yeah. I, I work with a um a violinist over at the university of lynchburg that uh he doesn't realize that he's almost standing up out of his seat sometimes when he's playing <laughs> you know you just have to go okay that's just that's just him okay yeah cool. yeah do you um do you uh listen to records at all do you do, you do record shopping i you know i i i tried you tried <laughs> I tried, and and Greg uh, GB and I talked about this uh, a couple episodes back. We were we were discussing album art and and how it influenced us, and as we were growing up, when when album art was like a really big deal, you know, not that it's not a big deal now. I don't want to cast aspersions, but <laughs> um, you know, Houses of the Holy, you know, these are great, you know, the artwork, and um, we we talked about the whole idea. And I don't know if it made it into the episode, but we were talking about it at one point. Um, doing vinyl for me was akin to a, like a Japanese tea service. Hmm. It, it was it was something I wouldn't casually sit down, fire up the turntable, get it going, make sure the needle's clean, polish the record with that little fine nap record duster thingy. <laughs> You know, and and set the needle down and engage in listening that way. Um, that that's sort of what it became for me. And then I ran out of time to do it and fell out of the habit. And the convenience of just being able to listen whenever on yeah. you know, smart smartphone or the computer or whatever. It just, you know, it it it, it was a great hobby for a little bit and went by the wayside. and I think for me it was almost a nostalgic practice too because a lot of the albums were things that I grew up with and had in high school so it 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 was it it was fun while it lasted but I just I don't know I feel bad now oh don't feel feel bad it's okay (laughs) don't feel bad (laughs) don't feel bad at all (laughs) no so are are you an avid collector well I I started getting into it um Sarah and I have Sarah has um, a pretty decent record collection and um I uh, I started doing a few trips to to our local record store, Speaker Tree, and um, I, I found, and I hadn't really listened to a whole lot of Keith Jarrett, but I found this Keith Jarrett record. Oh, nice! And I I, I just I I knew the name, um, so so I put it on, and I I was blown away. I mean, the um, and not just obviously you know the the, the presence of a record talking about records but like his playing as a pianist um i highly resonated with if, if you haven't listened to much of keith jarrett i'm specifically talking about a recording he did of stella by starlight i i know i know which one you're talking about yeah and mm. and there there are i think a few recordings of stella on spotify of his but i actually have not found i try to find it i haven't found this exact um a vinyl recording on Spotify. So as far as I know, this vinyl recording is the only copy that exists of this tape of Stella. <laughs> oh, and, wow. And, and it was, you know, it blew me away so much, like I immediately like converted it to digital. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and I, I showed, I showed my piano student and, um, and, um, he, if you listen to him, like he, he has this thing where he starts to vocalize and, and like, he's like sing like, Almost Singing, grunting, kind grunting, of, yeah, 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 yeah. grunting. What he's playing, yeah. And then, like, 
there that's me that's it that's what i do like that's <laughs> I'm, I'm, this, this is looking in the mirror now <laughs> right well i mean uh monk was the same way if, if you watch some of the the um the video recordings from from his tv appearances and and whatnot he's he's a grunter mm-hmm. and just uh, very vocal in what he's playing um, I worked with a drummer that way, but he was usually cussing. So I mean, it was. Oh, I gotcha. Was, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> that's bad. I know, I know, I know. So I uh, want to ask you one more thing while we got a little bit of time. Sure. Um, and th- this is this is something that I I don't want to say struggle with, but I have to be adamant about doing it. Uh, it's the craft of the arts and crafts, I guess. Right. And, and, and that's maintaining creativity. How, how do you, I mean, cause you, you know, you're, you're involved with, with several different projects and, and where they're all very similar, they're all very different. And how do you maintain the creativity through, through those projects? Well, that's the thing. I mean, as, as an artist, you know, we, we have times in our lives that we may say, Oh, I, I was more creative at this time of my life and I was less creative at this time of my life but but when you're a professional musician there's the expectation upon you by you to be somewhat consistent with that yeah being creative all the time being creative all the time you know because one you want to pour your passion into it and you want to do it all the time and two you also want to make money from it you also you know what want to make a living doing what you want to do right and situations in our lives external internal are inconsistent. You know, those those things are always changing. So, so where where's where's the foundation that you, you can kind of fall back on to when you need to be consistently creative, but you don't necessarily feel like that consistency could be there. And um, I actually have to fall back on some some great concepts that I learned back in audio school. Um, you know, I, I had some fantastic professors um, up up in New York, and this was a small school, and and with but these incredibly high caliber professors, and so you know, I feel very privileged to have had you know this right. this education. You, they, you, they, you, oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, you know, I Roanoke College. I, I'm a I'm alum of there actually twice now, and uh, went back and did some postgraduate studies a couple of years back in in composition. But um, there's something about small schools yeah. that the the educators are so um, engaged mm-hmm. in doing. It's they wanted to come to a small school to teach basically because it, it, the, more of a one on one situation is available type thing. Yeah. But uh, I didn't mean to interrupt. But go ahead. But the, yeah, that's exactly it. Um, and the, I just this one professor uh, particularly resonated with me in in what they were teaching was that creativity is a habit. Um, there, there's a core foundation of creativity where you can train your mind um, to almost be triggered into going into flow state. Right. Uh, or you know, if not fall right into it, then you can at least set the stage. Um, and it, you've built a pattern into your life that you can rely on to produce something or make something. Um, and that, that habit can be as simple as you have you have a certain light in the corner of the room that you only turn on when you go to practice or something like that. Um, or yeah, I like to burn incense or Palo Santo. Um, right. And 
burning Palo Santo now, I've instantly affiliated that with that smell with creativity and making music. And, exactly. Um, so now it's almost like become a trigger for creativity. Well, and that, you know, that's, that's the thing that the professor that I work with during the composition years was like, you know, when you sit down, sit down with purpose, mm-hmm. you know, if that means lighting a candle or sharpening a pencil or whatever it is that triggers you to get into that mindset of, of being in a creative state, you know, and it, it could be says put on your favorite slippers and that's your that's your composition slippers and you <laughs> just they're comfortable and you feel like you're ready to go and i mean some as silly as that now i'm not i'm not saying that all your preparations are not valid but they they are part of a they be, be and and they are very valid to be quite honest mm-hmm. um it it almost becomes that idea of the japanese tea service again you go through a ritual Mm-hmm. to get to the point of enjoyment and then that creativity. Right. Right. You are, you're setting the stage. Exactly. You know, and a friend of mine once we, we were talking about, um, he was, he was one to, to always go on turns of phrases. It's like, we say these phrases all the time and, you know, we don't sit and think about what they mean. And he says, arts and crafts. Well, you can't have arts without crafts. You have to learn how to craft to to do that. To, and and it, it kind of ties into that creativity. You know, jump starting into something, it's like we're not starting from zero every time that we start to be creative. We have this pool of knowledge to pull from whatever project we're working on. Mm-hmm. And it it kind of shortcuts us through the craft. It's like, okay. I have to set up my sound gear to do this recording bit. Right. So I need to do this. And then after that's done, I do this. And that's the craft of putting together the stuff. And then when I get to the point of actually doing the recording, then it becomes the art. Right. And and I think that we, we sometimes we forget that in, in the creative side of it, not just the performance side of it, but you know, you can't just go, Hmm. I think I'll write a song today, but I'm not in that headspace, so I'll wait. No, you have to. Sometimes you have to push yourself into that headspace, even even right. if it's bad. It's going to get you in that into that space. A little bit of activation energy. A little bit it, of exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Exactly. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta, you know, especially if you have um, a lot of freelance work, a lot of like studio work as as a musician. Um, right. it, I, I think that's some of the most incredibly fulfilling creative work to do. Um, and, and you also have to have the space for yourself to kind of just sit there at your gear and just let it speak to you and just it, see what comes out. Exactly. Um, you know, continue to build that, build that relationship you have with what your creative output is and just, right. and just, just strengthen it. Right. And, and, and I don't know about you, but I, I sometimes I find that, uh, um, so like we had our first rehearsal in a very long time um, last week was it this week last week last some, week some 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 days yeah. ago some days ago <laughs> more more than more than four and less than ten sounds about and, right. yeah, yeah yeah and you know I've I've tried to stay creative during our little hiatus and and doing some other things but it, there's there's also something to maintaining creativity with the folks that you're working with right. Right. And you know we we I've been let me see 
I've been with Slap Five uh, two and a half years now. Is mm-hmm. that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, getting cl- getting close to two, one and a half years. And um, there is there is a creative flow within that group. Um, very um, musically intelligent guys, right? And not saying they're not intelligent other ways, but they, they I mean, they're they're we all kind of vibe on that on that same. I don't want to say higher plane, but a different. We're all in the same vibrational level <laughs> when yeah. it com, com, comes to what we're doing, and um, the, is that space jazz? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. But um, what what I was going to say is, outside of of um, the the usual kind of band things that may happen. One thing that we don't disagree on, and not that we have a lot of disagreements, and we, you know, it's been a very easy band to work with from the get go, for the most part. And um, you, when you have that ease of working with people, and, and and there's nothing that we that we argue about artistically. We may have discussions about it, but nobody's going, that's stupid. Right. Because I think we're all on that same kind of flow. We're all right there in that same space going, yes, that's a mm, yes. Or, Mm -hmm. well, yeah, you're right. If we if we did it this way instead of that way, that would be better. Let's try it that way type thing. And I, and I, I just find that having having comrades like that in in what you're doing not only makes it. Uh, artistically rewarding, but you know, I, I, I obviously we hang out all the time when we're not playing, or at least we'd like to more than we are, I guess. Um, you know, I, I genuinely like the folks that I play with, and that has, I think, a lot to do with with the creativity too, because it's just it it feels like a safe place to do it. That's it. That's it. You you know, the, the, there needs to be that you know that that resonance with yes. people, but it's you know, I mean. You, you, you want to click as people, um, but that can also be carved on stage too. Like you're, you're, you're mm. you know, so, so many gigs uh, I've played where it's the first time playing with someone and you're, you're on stage and like, man, after a certain point, you haven't said many words to each other, you know, maybe, maybe the first time you saw each other was on stage, but there comes right. a point where it's like, oh, hey. I understand where you're coming from. We're on, yep. we're on that same, yep. And that's that blows my mind how that happens. Yeah, and it, it usually happens quickly too. Really I mean, there, there, there's something about uh, being on stage together that kind of just creates these connections automatically. You know, uh, I'm I'm filling in for a friend actually on drums for a, a southern rock country band for the next couple of weeks, and generally. And genuinely, not my bag. Um, it's right. and it's all it's all tunes we know. And I'm just like, all right, yeah, I, I can beat drums on you to get you through. And um, and he um, played with these guys like three times now, and there there are friendships forming on stage, even though we don't see eye to eye on a lot of things in in the outside world. But on stage, it's a very it feels like a very safe and sane place. Right, you know, right, and and um, you know, g- good bunch of guys. I mean, re- really great guys. Um, but you know, even even in that situation, there's there's this a kin. I, I guess you would call it a, a kindred spirit or kinmanship. 
right you know, it's, yeah. it's not family it's not your bros but you know you you you've you've made this connection on a deeper level that you can't undo and that's amazing <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, it, it is. I want to do that for the rest of my life. <laughs> it, exactly. Sign exactly. me up. <laughs> right on. And as we wrap up this episode, we want to thank those that have chosen to listen. I also want to thank Matthew Billings for joining me for this episode. Let your friends know that they can find the Not Necessarily Mad podcast in the podcast section of Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, and at madfamworld.com. Stay safe.